Okay, good morning, guys. Thank you for uh, giving me this time. I really appreciate it. Um, just a quick show of hands. Who in this room really likes to laugh? Okay. You came to the wrong talk. Okay. <laughs> but seriously, um, if you did read about this, you'll know this is a little bit of a serious talk. So um, buckle up. But uh, at the same time, I hope you uh, are, are moved by it and, and receive something today. So I'm here to really share kind of my personal story and how that relates to a ministry that I've become involved in and how God has really transformed me in that process. So we'll start right at the beginning. I, I was born and raised in a small town in Oregon called Tillamook. You may have seen the ice cream or the cheese, which I still say is the best. Um, <laughs> and you can fight me over it. Um, but seriously, I grew up in a small town and I had either a fishing pole in my hand or I was on my BMX bike all the time. That was my life growing up. So yes, I'm a Gen Xer. <laughs> but uh, a lot of that was I didn't want to be home. From a very young age, I didn't want to be home. Um, a lot of that had to do with the fact that I did have an alcoholic stepdad at home um, who was physically abusive. So. But it didn't start off that way, right? Have you been around partiers? It can be really fun at first, right? And it was. I still remember the parties at the house, and, and I still remember, you know, that's where I picked up all of my music education, was off eight tracks of Led Zeppelin, Kiss, Black Sabbath, and the occasional C.W. McCall. Um, so it was a great music education background. <laughs> um, but things quickly turned to my memories of my mom alone at the kitchen table, that marmoleum floor and that kitchen table with the aluminum around the edge. And I remember it in so much detail. My mom there just at the table just crying. And I was the only one. I had five, I had four siblings, so me and four, uh, three younger and one older. And I would be there with her because my mom was crying. And God did something in my heart that said, if somebody is suffering, go to them. I didn't know. I was eight years old. My mom would always try and usher me back to bed. She'd always say, go, you know, go to bed, go to bed. And sometimes she would insist, so I would sometimes fall asleep in the hallway because it was around the corner. She wouldn't see me there because I had this sense of justice too. And when he got home, I wanted to tell him, stop making my mom cry. But I didn't have the words. All I had was, you know, I'm mad at you, right? And his early response was an open hand. And that slowly developed into closed hand. And um, one of his favorite moves was to grab me by the hair and pick me up and throw me around the room. And I still remember some of the flashes of seeing um, the bricks of the fireplace in our living room just flying by my face as I'm just being flung around. 
And it wasn't just that, while most of the time he had a good job, the money doesn't go to the family when there's an alcoholic present. It's just like any other addiction. That's where the money starts going. And so, and mom, mom was a mess, as you can imagine. <laughs> Five kids and dealing with all this. And um, so we didn't, we didn't have the kind of discipline at home that you might think, oh gosh, kids need a good disciplined family environment, right? Take a bath at least once a month, <laughs> you know, <laughs> things of that sort. Um, maybe go school clothes shopping once a year. Some families had that, I remembered. Um, I remember getting hand-me-down shoes that the, the bottom was so worn off when we were running uh, the back and forths on the gym floor, I would slide and just slam into the wall. Cause I'm like, and I'm like, what am I going to do with these stupid things, right? And so to hear my story outside of this context, you might think, oh, this guy... You know, you look at my career, things like that, you might say, this guy is pretty uh, hardworking and ambitious and um, has this strong work ethic, really driven, highly results-oriented, and all those things work really good on a resume, but they just weren't true. Because all of those things were really just an outpouring of my protection I was trying to protect myself because I would be at school and the kids would laugh at me because of the clothes that I was wearing. And they would laugh at me because of the bruises that they saw. Or they would laugh at me because I was the only kid they knew that had bald spots on my head. And I wasn't gonna let any of that happen ever again. By the time I was 12 years old, I had a paper route and I was the only kid I know my age that got up at 4 a.m. every Saturday to catch the bus from Tillamook in over the mountain range to Forest Grove to pick strawberries so I could buy my own school clothes because nobody was gonna make fun of me ever again. My mom did kick him out when I was 12. And that was good because that was the age that I started to try to figure out how I was going to end his life. Because I was approaching that age where I was starting to fight back a little bit. And I knew eventually it was going to have to be him or me. So I had plans. And I knew when a drunk comes home, Eventually, they always pass out. I have plans. But somehow, plans just never lined up. Sometimes I would wake up in the hallway. It's morning already. Sometimes I would nod, trying to make sure I stayed awake, and he just never came home. But I used to believe that I had all this kind of work ethic and tenacity and all that stuff that was kind of just mine, right? 
It was my, this culture, you would say, it's my truth, right? But we know there's only one truth, the truth and the way and the light, and that's Jesus Christ. But I see clearly now God's hand in all of it. And it really didn't appear obvious to me until the last really year, year and a half. Which is always bizarre to me how God works in that way. It's almost like I feel like I'm growing in Christ and I'm learning so much and I'm, you know, <laughs> constantly kind of going, God, is, are you going to stop waking me up to all this stuff in my life? But every time, it's like another set of eyelids opens. It's like, I didn't see it. And another set of eyelids opens up. I didn't see it. Well, this was one of the big ones. But being raised in poverty, as, as you've already heard, means that you create this self-protectionism. And so, yes I, I knew, yes, I knew the Lord, and I knew him to be trustworthy. And I loved the Lord. But I didn't know how much I was also saying, I'm in control, and thank you, Lord, for making sure I stay in control. <laughs> and maybe that's, those weren't the exact words of my prayers, but that was the gist of it, right? but I never really knew how much he loved me until he freed me from this self-protection. And really it was in the process of developing this ministry. You all have a card at your desk. Um, and it's because, and this is a, it's a, a school and orphanage in Uganda, which I'll tell you what, I had no interest in international ministry I did not want anything to do with any of that. I was like, mm, you know, I, yeah, we used to talk about, my, my wife and I would joke because I like to go camping and she's like, I ain't going camping. If you want to go camping, you go ahead and sleep on the floor. I ain't going camping. And then the older I get, like, I ain't going camping either. Because <laughs> I wake up with pain in places that like, did somebody punch me in the middle of the night? I don't even know, like, how is this possible? And yet now I'm, I'm thinking about a third world country and, and the idea of even visiting there made me go, I ain't doing that, <laughs> right? But God just kept nudging me along every little step at a time. And I remember in the process being very, very frustrated several times because when you, uh, if you look at the process of, of becoming a legal CBO, in a foreign third world country. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> it's not just like, here's the process and here are the steps. It's here's part of one process and here's another website where you might find another part of another process. And you gotta start asking people about the other part of the process. And then we haven't even talked about the local stuff yet, the, that you gotta bribe officials for signatures and all that kind of stuff. It was crazy and I was getting frustrated but God kept showing me the pieces. It was like I'm standing at the edge of the bank of this river where it's just flying 
three feet, four feet, maybe five feet deep of speeding water. And every time I reach out to move, another stone appears. And I'm like, how is, how is this happening? And I remember in that frustration praying, God, how is, like, are you not near? Are you, why am I so frustrated? And I remember praying, God, how do I know that I am close to you? How do I know that I'm near you? And he said, I felt the whisper of his voice and said, you will know when you're near me when you have more questions than answers. And I just wept because I knew Jesus was right there with me. There was just no doubt in my mind at that point. So I had to keep going. And he put together just these miraculous alignments of, of people that I knew for years. I had no idea they were involved in international ministry. Like, and we got boots on the ground to go visit the site and everything. It was just, I couldn't believe this was happening. Like, I, there's this part of me early on that was thinking, something's got to fall apart so I don't have to keep doing this. <laughs> but God just kept going, and I'm going, I'll just keep following you. I don't know where I'm going, but I'll just keep following you. And all that protectionism just fell away. I started to see the eternal beauty of Christ. I started to see how I don't know the answers. I don't have to know the answers. And in fact, it's better if I don't. So now fast forward. April 17th, 2023. This is the hard part. Um, that was just three months ago when I practiced. I walked through this without a problem, but <laughs> I, uh, I lost my little brother, my baby brother, to cancer. And he's four, he was 40 years old, and it might sound weird to some of you to hear me say baby brother to about a 40-year-old, but others of you know exactly what I mean because I was 12 years old when he came home. And I remember holding that little baby in my arms. And on April 17th, he got to move in next to the Lord. But I had to miss him. And he left behind a, a wife and three little kids And as I'm receiving that news, my, one of my other brothers calls and says, uh, our older brother Vince just took his own life. And I, I've never been broken like that. To lose two siblings in one day and I never knew grief like that. Grief that causes physical pain. It's not just grief that you weep about and that you just, you grieve over. It's, 
physical pain. And I just, I couldn't believe this happened, but but God showed me where he was in it. And I had so many people praying for me and I had receiving, I was receiving peace in times where I should, had no business receiving peace and a lot of comfort. And I know that was the prayers of the people that love me. But one of the most amazing moments was being at my little brother Scotty's bedside. And he's on all the machines and we're, we're reaching some point of inevitability. And there's a lot of people standing around his bed and we're crying and we're praying. Our hands are on him and we're praying and we're crying. And I look over across the room and I see my stepdad. And he's just stone-faced, stoic. And he's, he's, he's small. And I just moved over toward him and I said, you know, you can let this out. You don't have to hold this in. I had nothing but compassion for him and I couldn't believe it. But I had nothing but compassion for him. And he said, nope, it's just part of life, no big deal. I've lost people before, this is what happens. And I put my arm around him and his body started to shake. And I held him for the next 30 minutes while he cried and we cried together. I never had the chance to see grace coming from within me like that. I don't know if, I couldn't believe it. He was living with my aunt less than 15 minutes from the hospital. I'd been staying with a friend who was 30 minutes to over an hour, depending on traffic. <laughs> This was Portland, Oregon, my friends. <laughs> so um, my aunt invited me to come stay, and I said, do you have an extra room? She goes, yes. I didn't realize the extra room was next to the room of my stepdad, and we shared a bathroom for the next three days, and he took me out to meals. And we talked about Jesus, and he talked about being sober for many years now. And a lot of healing took place. I realized in that moment just how much less of me there was. And I was so grateful for it. Yes, I did have really good counseling. <laughs> um, it's, it's actually, I had EMDR therapy. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but uh, it's PTSD therapy, and, and it was really good. Um, and it helped a lot. Otherwise, I don't think I could have stood up here and shared that story. Um, and now I get to see God go ahead of me and do things that are across the globe. So on your tables, you see one of these cards. This is the part where I want you to take out your phones, okay? 
This doesn't obligate you to do anything. This is just to get the website up on your phone so that you can do something about it or you can share it with somebody else. So please get your phones out. Point the camera at there's, there's, there's QR codes on both sides. Just point your phone at the QR code and tap. It'll open up the website. And then you can set your phone back down. That's all, right? And then two things that I ask, and that is that you would pray about this and ask if there's something that God is moving in your heart to inspire you to do or introduce. Maybe it's a relationship you have with someone else who's in international ministry that you can introduce me to. Or consider a financial donation. We have 150 kids that we're caring for right now. We provide the ministry for them. We provide all of their physical needs, secure environment, which is not easy to come by in Uganda. Um, they have food. Um, we have, we're, we're saving for, for land as well, land purchase um, to build our own school building. Um, but our earnings right now, we're still living donation to donation. We're at about $1,000 a month on average, and we need $3,000 a month. So we're about a third of the way there. But if you've done the math in your head, because you're really smart, <laughs> it's only $20 a kid to provide all of that. We operate really efficiently to make sure that almost every dollar goes directly to the kids. Um, there are no paid staff or anything like that. Um, is that for me? Okay. <laughs> um, so no matter what, keep the card, right? Um, maybe God will say, I want you to hand this card to somebody else. For some reason, I don't know, right? The Holy Spirit moves in these weird ways. Maybe you're familiar with that. But um, yeah, $20 a month to provide for all the needs of a child is a pretty darn good deal. If we just had 50 people that were willing to do $40 a month, we'd be at budget. And it's been amazing. Just one more quick thing about the orphanage, and that's it's been amazing to see and hear from Mugisha, who is our guy on the ground, about... Um, kids getting sick and him saying it's amazing that we actually have a little bit that we can pay to make sure they get taken care of. Most of the kids get sick and they just have to kind of give them water and hope they make it through. And a lot of kids die from malaria. This year it's been monkeypox. But in our group, none of the kids have died due to illness. We've had two of them require blood transfusions, but none of them have died. Okay, thank you for, uh, for letting me share my story with you. I do want to do uh, a worship song with you, if you don't mind. Um, I, I've led worship in a, a men's group. on. It's been online for three years now. Um, but I used to lead worship for a men's group 
you, you can tell I have a little bit of a lower voice, right? So I, I don't do so great singing to, to the ladies as much, but, but I can usually pull off men's worship. Um, but usually the first thing I say on the Zoom call before I head into a worship song is uh, mute yourselves because otherwise the system tries to pick up your voice and then it sounds all weird and people can't actually settle in and worship. But I can't hear their voices anymore. And I want to hear your voices. So I'm going to do a song I think everybody knows, probably, How Great Is Our God. Um, one of the lyrics that stand out to me in the, in the context of this has been, age to age he stands and time is in his hands, beginning and the end. I think this is a powerful illustration of something that I've often sung about, <laughs> but never really understood, that time itself is in his hands. He can bend time, he can remove time, he can add time or change time. So as that eight-year-old boy sat in the hallway waiting, afraid, but also just mad and sad, I know that was time spent with Jesus. He was there. I know there were times when I fell asleep because he was there. I know there were times that my stepdad didn't show up because he was there. I know that when I was in school and the kids were making fun of me, he was there. And now I'm about as nervous as I can get singing worship in Nashville.
Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your ridiculously personal, emotional, and deep love for us. There's no way we could do anything worthy enough to receive just you alone. That's why we can worship in this way, just completely emptying ourselves. Not that you would be the center of us, but that we would be at the center of you, Jesus. Amen. 